BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is One Hate Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take me. Give me all you got! This and Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Yes, this is the podcast that has indeed excavated all 166 pre-credits minutes of Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus, Heat, a minute at a time. This is a special bonus episode of Heat 2 fan casting. We've just completed the Heat 2 book club where we've taken apart Michael Mann and Meg Gardner's 2022 New York Times best-selling heat to one part at a time with a cachet of incredible guests and today is no different. We have gathered all of these people, focused all of these conversations together to fantasy cast heat to. We know that Michael Mann intends to make this as a film now that Heat 2 is a best-selling novel. He's going to adapt his own book with Meg Gardner, obviously, and turn it into a cinematic work. We cannot be more excited. So, without further ado, we have a Murderer's Row lineup, Vulture TV critic, film and culture writer, Roxana Haddadi. Uh, We have Brendan Hodges, kind of lapsed film critic but incredible film critical mind we have podcaster from the terrific authorized novelizations podcast hannah blackman we have author gavin smith and we have heat super fan john p glynn the man who on our patreon accessible discord has actually mapped out the ages of the actors to help our crew uh, do our own fan casting on the side joining me today so these five guests are going to unpack who they think 
can be in this film? Who will stand up to the Pacinos, the De Niro's, the Kilmers of the world to be able to carry the torch going forward? So without further ado, let's dive straight in to Miss Roxana Haddadi. So mm-hmm. Roxana Haddadi... Fantasy cast me heat too. And we can start oh with God. Chris and you can give the full explanation and unpacking of Glenn Powell uh, here if you would like. And then we can start moving to some of these other fun characters that we've been thinking about and talking about. Oh, God, this is such a good... Well, Glenn Powell for me, I think I enjoyed him in other work that I've seen him in because he... My initial impression was just like, bland, handsome, nice. I didn't yes. get uh, much more than that necessarily. Um, but he really changed my mind in Top Gun Maverick because he had that same thing Kilmer has, which is just this like shit-eating grin. <laughs> he knows how good he is, right? He knows how good he is. And he knows that he can intimidate you with that. Who's going to be team leader? And which one of y'all has what it takes to follow me? Let's go. Let's see what you got. Hangman's coming. Hangman, he doesn't fly well with the team. Sort of lives on the edge. You put your team in danger. They couldn't keep up. He knows he's the best and he's not here to make friends. Damn it. And at the same time, he knew when to reel it back and rein it in because Kilmer is not showboating the whole time either in Top Gun or in Heat Uh, there is a restraint there that I think makes him even more ominous and foreboding and that's the vibe that I've gotten from Powell In, in more recent stuff there's this undercurrent there of something that I think could be sharpened into yes. who Chris is in Heat 2. Uh, he has been the most sort of obvious idea for me recently. And I really am having such a hard time with everyone else. Like <laughs> I, I, I like I can't even, you know, like there was all the Timothy Chalamet stuff that people took very seriously, uh, arguably incorrectly about Heat 2 fantasy casting. But it's really hard. Because oh, it's incredible. Performances. It's, incre- just... it's incredibly hard. We'll get to Pacino. I just want to say the thing with Glenn Powell is because the lore of Top Gun Maverick this year has been so fantastic and talking about the different roles. And Glenn Powell famously, I guess, when we talk about the cast, was like one of the guys he was going for Rooster. He didn't get it. And Macquarie and Cruz begged him to go for Hangman. They're like, we want yeah. you to be this character. And he goes, no, I don't want to do it. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to do it. And Cruz, like, in this kind of really good forthright, like mentory way, I was like, what do you, what kind of career do you want to have? He's like, mm-hmm. I want, he's like, Tom, I want your career. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, and he's like, yeah, well, I don't pick good roles. I pick good movies. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I want to be in good movies, working with good filmmakers. And eventually you turn that around and all the fun of like the, 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 the life-changing event that this movie has been for all of these young actors, getting bigger roles, becoming more famous and internationally recognizable. Like pals, like doing skydiving lessons from Tom Cruise and like doing stunt driving. And I'm like, I feel like if he was to ask Tom Cruise right now, like, Oh, Michael Mann wants me to do this role. 
cruiser be yeah that's the that's you do what it I, that's what do i'm it. talking about yes yeah yeah it's michael Absolutely. mann he's yeah. one of my guys he you yeah he, he will you know if you want to if you want to be me you have to work with michael manns you know that's who you have to work with you've worked with link later you've now worked with kaczynski you can work with michael mann you've like it'll just go on you will just work with these people and i feel like it would be too an offer almost too good to refuse and so i hope um glenn if you're listening um i hope that uh i hope that first you- of all why isn't Glenn listening? That's the first question. <laughs> like, why? Should be. You should be. Why is he holding out on us? Uh, my other question is: Are you imagining Keep Two as a film or as a miniseries? I really would love it to be a film. And oh, the only reason I the only reason I say that is, I feel like it's got the potential, especially because of the time jumps, that it will ca- keep people's attention. It will. It, you mm-hmm. can. It's got a captivating quality. And I also feel that like, although it is a dense book, so much of the descriptions and mm-hmm. so much of the prose that comes to establishing and orienting us in any time or place, particularly in part three, because that's where it has to do the heaviest lifting. It's the most unfamiliar territory for, you know, especially the target audience of like American readers who have no concept of Chicago. They also mm-hmm. oh, have already a clear concept of Chicago. They, they've learned about LA through countless movies, but I feel, and, and, and in particularly heat as a text, it's like it's set in LA. So people get to kind of orient themselves to like, Oh, what, what this might be in my mind's eye. But I feel like so much of that melts away and it can mm-hmm. be so much faster. And the only thing that they really would have to do, and this would be, you know, if I was ever developing it is like the prologue to part one is bits and pieces from heat. And I just yes. feel like if they got some of these actors and slightly restaged and reframed certain scenes, just so that we mm-hmm. were reoriented with the new actors that we're eventually going to see, then mm-hmm. they could do like a quick, like few minutes sort of flashbacky styled thing that had all of these actors just doing these roles and then immediately mm-hmm. move. And then we're in like 1980s, we're in, you know, we're straight mm-hmm. in and then we jump, we jump um, forward to Chris again. And then or we, sorry, we're in 95 and then we jump to the eighties and we jump here and we jump back. I just feel like I would love to see how they could try and economize that storytelling. And I know that Michael Mann being so fastidious as he is, I just feel in my bones that a film is what it should be because if it turns into a series there's stuff that I think I just, I only see it as like, well, you'd only want to break it up like two, you know, in a few parts. Like I wouldn't want each episode to be a part, like, because the mm-hmm. fifth part of the story is so tiny. So then it's mm-hmm. like, okay, well, is it five parts? And I just feel like I would love to see the balls on this to be a big cinematic spare no expense movie. Like make it a movie. Okay. I want either like a three and a half hour movie or like a two, two hour TV movie, mini series, special event. Like remember when we were kids, it was like two nights, special event, two (laughs) hours each night. Like, yeah, I'll take, I'll take, I'll take that. I'll take the two, two hour special event that can be watched as one thing four hours if you want to but I don't want it to be and you would see this so much other than like the creme de la creme of tv Mm -hmm. there is so much happening outside the frame of the focus areas of these 
books and especially in part three, it's alive. There is so mm-hmm. many people moving. It's a hive in Seattle yeah. del Este. And so I don't want it in any way to feel constrained. I want it to feel like it's a big sweeping epic hundreds of extras in a casino hundreds mm-hmm. of people on the street like i want mm-hmm. it to feel like it's and that's the sometimes with a film it's like it might be a shorter shooting schedule it might be this it might be that like they'll move things around they'll move these big units around and shoot second unit or whatever but i want it to feel like the world is there and mm-hmm. i feel like michael mann is a if if nothing else is an amazing filmmaker at making a world feel lived in and you know part mm-hmm. of the great reasons that tokyo vice was super successful and fun was that very thing that they spared no expense to make the world feel like that and it's it's you know mm-hmm. and that's a period throwback too so you know just another mm-hmm. bit of a lesson a practice at how to make a sort of period movie only like 15 20 years back so yeah it's um it's it's yeah it's really special i think it's possible i just don't want like it to be padded to like an eight episode thing because I don't think you need that and I also don't want it to be like a hundred minute movie no, you know no. we have to find the right balance we need as much Glenn on screen as possible yes 100%. in a rational irrational <laughs> approach so, yes yeah what about Hannah do you have any Hannah's and Macaulay's in your mind I literally have none it is so <laughs> difficult for me to think about I have none. What have what have you been thinking about? So I can agree or disagree. There's one actor mm-hmm. in the world working right mm-hmm. now who I mm-hmm. think could play a, an amazing Hannah or okay. an amazing Macaulay. Oh, okay. There's one who can do both. And it's Colin Farrell. So much about you. You must know about him. Who is he? Boy, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? There's only one problem with your little scenario, okay? I ain't no rat! You got any idea what Carmen Falcone will do to me? You heard this kind of talk? No, you don't want to talk about rats, huh? Maybe we can talk about what they did to my partner's face. Holy God, what are you showing me? Come on! Open your eyes! Well, you El Rata Alada. El Rata Alada? Yeah. Rat with wings, a stool pigeon. That's not you. The symbol's in the maze right here. It says you are El Rata Alada. You are El Rata that says that? Why? You got something to tell us? Yeah! It's like the worst Spanish I ever heard. What? It's La La Rata. What is this, Riddler? Stupid or something? Jesus. Look at you two. World's greatest detectives. Am I the only one here knows the difference between L and La? Jesus. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Just just cast just cast the entire thing with Colin and then just Glenn is in there as Chris and we're fine. It's oh like, it's like I, I feel like Colin Farrell's the only guy working today that I can say absolutely unequivocally can play both. But I did have a weird one before and it was just purely on ages. Mm-hmm. I think, and I know that obviously he, this isn't his background. I feel like Jillian Hall could do a great Vincent Hanna. Hi. Morning. Why'd you run away from me the other night, man? I've never seen you before. You sure you have the right house? You doing some shopping at the value mall lately? Yeah. 
<clears throat> Boy, the crime to shop there. I can't afford to buy suits from Brooks Brothers. <laughs> hmm. Okay. At his age now, he's in his 40s. He's got that bravado. Okay. And like, I, I think about the Gyllenhaal of like ambulance, who's just okay. chewing scenery and having a ball. Okay. Definitely not Italian. Um, Does sort of have Pacino-ish dimensions. He's not a super tall guy. Um, mm -hmm. But that was kind of one point of my time. And it's like the other one, is which we haven't covered is in Neil's life is Elisa or Eliza. And yeah. I, in my mind, I've always been thinking, um, uh, Oh my God, I've just lost a name. Um, I've been thinking Eva Mendez. Okay. And, and okay. when I thought Eva Mendez, someone's like, well, why not just get Ryan Gosling to pay, play Neil? <laughs> and I'm like, I love yeah, that, Ryan so much, but I, it's a, it's a tough hang. It's a tough hang. It's tough. It's so tough. I it's just the toughest hang. We've talked about this so many times. I just don't think I think actors of that generation had a quality that actors since then have struggled to have. So and I mean that it is difficult for me sometimes to think of our current crop of actors as people who had lives before becoming actors yes or who have like interests or identities outside of acting yes um and i feel like pacino and khan and de niro and pesci robert, and robert duvall duvall like all these people had that uh so yeah i'm gonna be like ageist and be like what if they just, you know, what if they just got <laughs> de-aging technology and they just played their roles again? I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't abide the de-aging because they're just that little bit too old. I mean, if this was, mm -hmm. and it feels like, you know, if this was a movie that was happening 15 years ago, mm -hmm. I feel like they, both guys could have pulled it off, like could have done a real, like, we're going on a health kick. We're going to get back yeah. into prime shape and we're going to try and be, especially Pacino, we're going to try and get him in in that later Vincent Hannon 2000 period and it would totally work and play. But, mm -hmm. you know, you know. Too much, it's too much time. It's, it's too, much, too time. much time. You know better than anyone, though. With IP, you know, Michael Mann has proved that this is a New York Times bestseller. Mm -hmm. It has an audience out there for the film. Um, mm -hmm. It will it will have an audience. And I, I think that, you know, there's there's – I think there's a crop of young actors out there that man can go to um, or younger actors or even actors in their prime. And it's like, you know, he would have to have a conversation with Leo. They almost made the aviator together. Like he'd have to have a conversation oh, and be like, maybe come in and do De Niro, come in and be Neil, young Neil. These are dirty, dirty people. Don't you know that? Sell potatoes. I don't know what you're going to do. Excuse me, gentlemen. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you fellas come from Providence? God, these uh, these are such interesting considerations. I mean, regardless, it's going to be good. Yeah, like, I think we can all agree that it's going to be good. I think you bring back Meg 
and you have Meg write the screenplay. Yeah. And then you just call Glenn or Glenn could call you and I personally, one or yeah, the that, other. Yeah. Look, um, we know the light, the fuse boys, um, mm-hmm. Drew and Charles. And it's like, come on guys. I, I know you have Glenn Powell's number somewhere. Let's just sort it out. Give it to us. Give it. Give it yeah. Some of my friends believe I'm on a text thread with Michael Mann, and I just want to say this right now. It's not, it, it, it's not that that's not our relationship, but I would mm-hmm. just say that like, you know, I feel, I feel like it, it could be totally great. And they've done so much of the work. Like it feels so many of these passages, especially in part three, feel like, you know, scene directions. Um, and it, 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 it and then when it gets into the action, it just moves relentlessly. And I feel like, mm-hmm. Um, you know, if man has showed anything, it's like that he can take a script that other people could not make the way that he makes it and just make it outstanding, you know, and, and I, figure I feel, it out. Yeah. Figure it out. He'll figure out a way to do it. And so, I mean, that's, and I just want to see Michael Mann making movies, you know, I know. we're so excited about Ferrari. I just want to see it. I want to see it happen. I want to see it happen too. I will say that like, I don't want Adam driver in this movie. I don't, dislike him by any means i just need a break you had enough of driver what about I, if he was what about if he was wardell okay that would be actually perfect and funny yes <laughs> that's good a because plus. he's because he's big and he's yes. intimidating and scary and the yes. thing about de niro and pacino they're diminutive guys so you ultimately want to cast someone who's not ridiculously tall and domineering because that's the whole magic of hannah's crew and neil's crew is that there's this like they're real people who are real sizes mm-hmm. and man doesn't do the big thing of like trying to make them towering or put them on, you know, Apple boxes or whatever to, to, mm-hmm. to, to, to make them there. It's part of the sizes, everything and, and this and how they occupy space. And so I would be like, I kind of want to see him because he's, he, I, I think we were since his sociopath, I guess in girls, like we haven't really seen yeah. a It would be going against psychopath. type. It would yeah, be interesting for sure. Type. Yeah. I also could see if you're just going to go sort of the expected route, uh, I could also see like a scars guard in that. Yes, for sure. Either one. I would prefer, you know, Alexander, but I'll accept Bill, you know, yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll accept that. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll make I mean, it cool. Yeah, there are a lot of different ways that it could go. I mean, you could even bring, I think for that character, you could even bring Chris Hemsworth back and have him break bad and just yeah. be a scumbag asshole. Yes. Like, I think almost the villains are sort of easier yeah. to do, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, than the iconic recastings. But uh, I hope, you know, I hope our conversation <laughs> allows this to happen. <laughs> Blake Howard, casting director. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. I'm going to just throw you in the thick of it. Brennan Hodges, cast me heat too. Oh, um... <laughs> Honestly, I've been struggling with it and talking with people honestly since I read the book on who would make the most sense. Um the what I think is really interesting is many of the actors you would think of as a good fit for Neil 
or as Hannah could really play the other one as well. Of course. Um, you know, and the, obviously that's intentional, but initially like a good thing that I, how do I put this? A Gyllenhaal came to mind for yeah. Hannah specifically because of his manic energy in so many recent performances. Danny. Why does everybody think they are so special? I don't know what's going on nowadays. You're just like the rest of us. You're just not important. No, Danny, relax. No, I'm not important, but he is. I'm keeping him alive. You need me, Danny. Good, good. No, we don't need you anymore. Danny, relax! You full of shit, Danny. Am I? Danny! <laughs> <laughs> say will was that a name what are you doing i need to know yeah um and an actor i thought of as a potential macaulay is uh john bernthal i think you are do you know who the fuck i am simon dewey founder ceo dewey capital american Shocking. I have kidnap insurance, you obviously know that. Sorry, but how in the world would I know that you have kidnap People fucking amazing. <gasps> you know, when you interrupt somebody like that, it makes them feel that you're just not interested in what they have to say. Or maybe you just think what you have to say is more important than what I have to say. Is, is that what you think? That gun. Who, who yeah. um, has that icy stare to him um but i'll it's hard because macaulay is such an internalized character yes he's he's a character who has that steely gaze and he's one of more micro behaviors and uh, then loud statements or gestures etc uh making people uh, get their heads slammed into a table aside um at, at coffee shops but uh no, I, that's kind of who I went with. I know a lot of people have um, brought up uh, a bunch of different possibilities for the cast. The, the part I honestly think is the most important to cast is not Macaulay or Hannah. And I know that sounds crazy, Blake, but I think that for this movie to work, the audience already has to suspend their disbelief and engage with these new versions of the characters on their own terms. Of course you want to cast it properly. I actually think the most important part to cast is Otis Wardell. Yeah. The bad guy, um, a, a the bad big guy, bad, a big bad. Yeah. He's kind of super Saiyan Wayne grow, um, <laughs> you know, and because if he isn't cast correctly, the whole movie crumbles because he is the thread that connects the entire book together. He is the nucleus that the rest of the novel is held together by. Every other arc orbits Otis Wardell, uh, yeah. potentially too much, but um, that makes it super important for this character to instantly read as a credible threat and as a compelling character 
for everyone else to revolve around. And I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's so tough. I was, I was like a lunatic as no, as, oh, but to the surprise of no one literally going and highlighting and underlining parts of the book that tell his physical description in enough detail to be able to visualize him. And the big things are his size, you know, his size, dark eyes towards the end of the book. He's obviously a little bit more hirsute and portly um, than he was originally. Cause he just feels like a real tower, but he feels like a bit of a classic, you know, um, he's kind of got like Sterling Hayden height. Oh, is... she... Go, no, I, you please I thought, go. I had the exact same thought yeah. when I was reading some of this. Yeah. I was like Sterling Hayden, like, but yeah, like, yeah, like unpredictable, young, tall, imposing, make, feels like his crew is dwarfed, but they're all normal sized people. Um, and they all feel like he's their dad. Like he's this dark you know, a paternal energy that is around. And, them. But I think the thing with Hayden is that so many of his roles, he plays a pitiful character and yet a very dangerous one. Yes. Um, and I, I think that is key here, but this character has to seem like the ultimate sicko basically. Um, and who's around today that could, you know, capture that on, on, the, as it's as he's described on the page. The more I've read it, I'm like, Tom Noonan would have eaten this role for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. He would like the Tom Noonan that played Dollarhide. You know, obviously not as wild and as 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 out of society, but Tom Noonan has this great quality when he just is in front of actors where they act toward him, and obviously acting is everything about believably channeling yourself through the character, saying the lines and reacting in an organic way. And I just feel like Tom Noonan has this phenomenal ability of like breaking people's rhythm to, to, to sort of short circuit a natural reaction. And I feel like, you know, Tom Noonan is the only character I feel like can do heat too. And was in heat one, which is like, he could be Kelso. <laughs> he's just sitting in a chair with a beard. Like yeah. it's fine. He could totally do it. Um, but it's, 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 yeah, I, I definitely feel like he's, um, yeah, I just definitely feel like someone like it has to be of that stature, um, and has to have that level of, I don't know that, like that, that size, you know, maybe, maybe thinking of, you know, I know something that we both love, um, very much, which is David Fincher's mind hunter series. Um, may, maybe it is someone like and i've got to get the young actor's name he's been on net in a bunch of other netflix shows too um maybe it's sort of the i guess leading uh leading serial killer um uh in in the first series of mindhunter and he comes back and and sort of has a significant um role to play but like maybe it's like a cameron britain you know like the guy who played ed kemper someone who's like really mm. physically scary, you know, even though it, as Ed Kemper, he's like, Oh, just tap, you know, taps Jonathan yeah. Groff on the shoulder, you know, uh, it just, Oh, just give him a little tap. But like, you love someone like Holt McCallany is like, that guy's fucking scary. Like he's a scary guy. <laughs> like stay away from him. Don't be alone with him. Don't take his cuffs off. <laughs> Don't sit so close to him. He's scary. So yeah, someone like that, I feel like is, you know, could totally, 
be formidable. But yeah, I I, I agree. That's a tough one. I yeah, I, it's not Macaulay or Hatner that's actually the toughest, even though they're incredibly tough to cast. For me, it's the whoever's going to play Chris and whoever's going to play this guy are going to be so vital to this movie because so much of the movie hangs on them being in every part of the every part of the book. Yeah, I the only thing I thought of for Otis. And you went in a very different direction than the only actor I could possibly imagine. And I, I, honestly, your choice is better. Mine is very <laughs> obvious. Um, I almost went to like, if they shoot him right, the most obvious choice is like a Michael Shannon. No! Yes, he, he, he asked me about Rosenthal if I'd seen him lately and I said, not in a while. That's all. That's yes, that's all. Of course. Yes. I swear to God. Yes. As soon as possible. Thank you, Roy. What's to talk to you? Yeah. Everyone has a soft spot, right? Guess so. Hey, hey, what the fuck's going on? He changed his mind. No, 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 no. Look, Rosenthal's my best friend. I would, I, I would never say anything. Not my problem. No, 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 no. God, 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 please, don't. God, please, God, please. What are you praying? God, please, please. You really believe that? You think God will come down and save you? <laughs> Yeah. Um, Another great one. Another great one. Yeah, but that's borderline obvious. And the thing that I think makes Otis so tricky isn't just the importance he has in the narrative, but he has to seem like a regular fella in public to a certain extent. Yes. But he has to be able to flip and seem like a capital P pervert you know character and that's just a really difficult balance i do have a good person in mind for chris um i know everybody has kind of fan cast different people Uh, ryan gosling i've seen tossed around a lot which is not a bad choice not bad but um i actually think that jeremy allen white from the bear would be a really good chris that's a great one yeah he is great terrific actor he's um he's got some energy about him unpredictability toughness yeah i i the and jeremy allen white is kind of has the he and taylor kitsch could totally play the the worst brothers of all time um together you know (laughs) like just like that he's he's got that same energy that's a great pick yeah i th- i think more people are coming around i where i've been landing on is uh for chris is like is taylor kitsch someone like that that's mm-hmm. got a lot of mileage a lot of torment but is also very striking but you know we were talking about top gun maverick earlier i'm like glenn glenn powell yeah i thought about that too he's pretty close to he he, he pretty much played val kilmer um <laughs> and so if there's anyone who's got the charm, the looks, the physicality. I, I wonder though if he's almost like too 
I, I realize I'm going to sound like an idiot, but he almost is too hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but you got to remember Val Kilmer in heat. Oh, no, 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 no. Not, not a single negative thing to say about Val Kilmer. He's he hot. could get it in the, in, in the parlance of our time. He could get it. He yeah, no, it. he could get it. The <laughs> thing about um, Glampal, though, is that he seems like a supermodel. <laughs> yes. Whereas the appeal of Val Kilmer, who is a very beautiful and is a very beautiful man, Val Kilmer has this natural edge to him yeah. that I wouldn't say undercuts his physical beauty, but it gives his characters this weird vibe to them where he's beautiful but there's something unconventional about him. I think a lot about, uh, this is a weird comparison, but I think about Harrison Ford a little bit and how he's such an incredibly beautiful man, but he has a unique look to him that gives many of his roles this certain edge or certain darkness to them, which is why, weirdly, he went from Han Solo and in Indiana Jones to playing a lot of more edgier roles yeah. in, in one way or another. And that's where that kind of comes from. And Glenn Powell, he's just, he just seems so squeaky clean. Yeah. Um, he's but so, he, can, he can put the bums on the seats, Brendan. That's the only other thing. Sometimes <laughs> when you're casting a movie, um, it, it, it is an easier proposition to tell, you know, your wife or partner, if you've watched <laughs> Top Gun Maverick like six times to watch it with you a few extra of those times, yeah. because you're like, Look, do you remember the beach scene with Miles and Glenn Powell, the yeah. guy you love from all those romantic comedies? Look at him here. He's just a, you know, he's, yeah. he's a total shitbag, but he's so insanely watchable. Yeah, and not not, and just to be clear, I think he's also just an incredible actor, and his performance in Top Gun Maverick so difficult to do correctly, oh. and he absolutely nails it. And I think that he could bring it for Chris. But at a, at a superficial clock him in five seconds level, I, I almost think he's just he looks too much of a Boy Scout yeah. um, for it. But I look, I'm happy to be proven wrong if Glenn Powell gets cast. <laughs> the reason my mind went to Jeremy Allen White is because at least in The Bear, and I haven't seen Shameless. So full disclosure, yeah, full but disclosure I've seen too. The Bear. I've seen yeah. The Bear. I haven't seen Shameless. The Bear is amazing. Also another Chicago set piece of visual fiction. Um <laughs> Uh, he has this, again, this athleticism and this physical beauty to him that embodies Chris, but also these demons and this edge and this energy. But also a very key thing about him is that he's able to carry all those demons, all those ghosts, but still appear to have intense focus. And I think that's so key to the Chris character. Um but yeah, that's kind of just who my mind went to because it helped that I was reading the book as I was going through the bear. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that that's ba those are basically my three main castings for the central three roles.
You know that Val Kilmer is a hot man in 1995. Very attractive. Who in God's name can play Chris if indeed Heat 2 is to become a film, as Michael Mann says it may be? Yeah. Um, I mean, you hear Glenn Powell bandied around. I, and I think- I'm the one. And I'm the one bandied. <laughs> I think he's great. I think he would be good. I think he is inherently funny, and that's not the energy I would want. Yes. Could he do it? Of course. I'm sure he'd be great. I think he's a very talented young man, and he has the sort of face shape, um, which is good. I I think I maybe said this, but for me, I'm I'm here to pitch Austin Butler. A lot faster when you're nervous, and and also he was young, and so his voice at that point was like. uh, well, I like to say how happy you are to be down here. It's a real honor for us to be get a chance to appear on Louisiana Hayride. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah. Uh, and then, like a couple years later, he's 21. It's 1956, and he honestly, this one I thought of earlier because it's how I feel right now. It's that thing where you're not sleeping. Yes. Who is a hottie and has something very cold in him? I think. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing him on a red carpet, I'm like, this is a man who could kill <laughs> um, Every... in a way that I think could work very well for Chris. I want to I tell you that <laughs> after you told us that and shared that opinion on your show, I kept, I don't know whether like Google was listening, but I kept <laughs> hearing, like seeing him like come up on like those Elvis talk shows. And mm-hmm. when people are like talking to him, he'd like stare down the barrel of the, like he looks straight to the audience, break the fourth wall and talk into your soul. Like, oh yeah, we did lots of preparation. <laughs> and you're like, wow, man, like chill. Okay. He's very yeah. intense. <laughs> and I, I think he has the right sort of like physical shape. He's very mm. handsome. And that sort of blankness, I think he could pull off uh, super successfully. Yeah. And he's he's a, he's a young guy, but he's just had to do a massive movie where he's aged up, mm-hmm. and he's had to do all that sort of stuff. So yeah, look, it's going to be a fascinating role to cast. I think it's kind of yeah. I think it's, it's really hard. It's really hard because once they get it, it's also that thing of like there are phenomenal actors. You're like, I have no idea how they could pick this person to do it, and once they get it and they dive in, you just hope they land because this thing's so big. Mm-hmm. That if you're the weak no. link, if like you can, you can be one of the other, like, you know, someone can, is going to walk into this movie and get to be Nate instead of John Voight. And they're going to have a blast, like 10 minutes of that person, like with a wig and a stupid mustache, they're going to have like a great time. They're going <laughs> to mm-hmm. have a really, but the Chris role is so pivotal to the, yeah. how the film works or doesn't that it's like, man, this is going to be a tough hang. And 12 years is just because you're a, because they're men and not like we didn't encounter any of these guys as like 21 in heat because they're men 12 years, you know, and I look at photos of myself from when I met my (laughs) wife to now, which is like, you know, we've been together about 12 years and married for about eight. And when I look at that, I'm like, Oh, that's, that's me. Like you can tell, like not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Way more Once you hit hair. adulthood, you don't change that much. You don't change that much, right? So there's like, that's me. I look a little bit the same, like maybe a little bit more roundness, youth in my face, not as dark <laughs> in the eyes, um, way <laughs> less gray hair, but you're still the same, structurally the same person. And if you, you know, carry that along, it's really hard to go, oh, I need a whole different person to do that. Mm-hmm. So 
I think for there the- needs to be some level of visual continuity. Yeah, you which can't, you know, you good makeup can do too at a point, but there's only so far that can take you. Yeah, he's kind of, and I think he's he looks he's angular face. I think he could he could do it right. He's going to be in South America. It's it, you know he's going to be in the heat. Just give him less makeup, and you look like hot. And yeah. red faced and sweaty, and you're like, you know, let's just just take a little bit of the polish off, and then <laughs> you can play with the makeup later. I, I mean, to me, Chris is the lead character of Heat too. He's carrying the story forward, and the flashbacks inform parts of Chris, and the stuff in 2000 are also informing parts of Chris. And everything else is like interesting. It's cool to know a little more about Neil's like failed love life. Or what's going on with this other crime that Hannah's following? Like that's all nice, but for me, the arc is very much like Chris, and everything feeds into what Chris is going to end up doing at the end of the book. So yeah. it's important to get that right because that guy has to carry a movie. Yeah, he's lit. No, he's carrying the whole movie. It's and he's the like a lot of people are going to be like, oh, who's going to play? Pacino's role and who's going to play De Niro's role? There's a lot of like just sort of passive. Who are they going to cast? But you're like. Guys, with the greatest respect, there's one person who's in every timeline mm-hmm. and it's Chris. And like yeah. Hannah, Hannah is too, Hannah is not, Hannah's at the beginning and Hannah, Hannah's at the end. So th- those two can like divergent timelines. It's like how they edit. And also you could probably also see, and I know that, you know, with authorized, you guys must come, come up on this conversation all the time. It's like, structurally, this book is very sort of rigid. It's like, six parts, six particular time zones. We don't want to disorientate you, jump from one page that then takes you to another time zone a year later and then back. It's too much for you to orient yourself in already a massive sprawling international crime novel. But in the movie, it's like, they may have to make that choice too. Do we keep it really rigid and tight and confined Mm -hmm. to one time zone that then goes to the next and then keep it in the continuity of the book? Or do they have that like, playing around like Godfather part two style where they're going on multiple timelines. And it's like, that's even harder. It's one guy. It's one guy who's the guy who's in every part of this thing. I know. At least we will have the visual difference of, I assume Chris in the eighties still had long hair and Chris in 1995 (laughs) does not. He doesn't No. Oh, by the end of it, he has no long hair. And then by the end of it, I think, did I read that correctly? He has a shaved head. I don't remember. Yeah. Maybe we'll figure that out. Maybe. But I mean, those are the sort of things you do in a movie to be yeah. like, here's your timeline. Here's your it's timelines. clearly delineated. You can tell by looking at this guy where you are in time, which is harder in a book, right? So it's yeah. it's helpful that the book is so rigidly broken out. Yeah. But I will be intrigued to see sort of how the movie structure comes around, how much of the like 88 timeline they actually keep, because I don't think that's that's the least interesting one for me. Well, the um, whole, And I don't think it whole... has... The whole prologue, (laughs) the whole prologue is the whole prologue is just one giant heat synopsis flashback, Mm -hmm. which I think might be useful in as, insofar as I would, if I, if I was talking about how to get us into the movie, I'd be like, okay, we need to reshoot some tactical shots of our new characters as like literally shots or alternative shots or side shots of this same thing, yes. whether it's the heist, whether it's thing. I want to see those same characters. I want to see him driving away from Charlene in the street. You know, I want to just an alternate angle. I want to see him talking to a basketball with Charlene on the balcony behind him. Like 
do a couple of things that are interesting to orient them. So they're like, they become those characters in the world. But then with 88, um, when you, it's so propulsive, you're reading, it's so much more about the Wardell character. And, and, and I think the most, almost the most important scene in 88 for the context of the whole book is Chris going to get Charlene. Yeah. Cause it's like the, it's the Scorsese casino scene of the book. It's like he walks in, he sees her. It's perfect. Da, da, da. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting, but then how much, um, how much they keep is going to be really fascinating. I think that's why they're just like in a normal movie that's two hours, it would be almost impossible to adapt. But Michael Mann's like, no, this will be a more than three hour movie. And you're like, okay, I okay. get it. Okay. Yeah, man. Give me one intermission and I'm the happiest camper <laughs> in the world. We got to bring back the intermission in a um, long movie. Yes. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Um, and get some fanfare, you know, like you have yeah. some music, have some score. Give me an entre act. Yes. Come yes, on. Yes. Something. <laughs> She'll laugh when she reads the part that says I'm leaving. Cause I've left that girl oh too many times before. By the time I meet Albuquerque. Ah, I have been thinking about this. Um, I'm really struggling. Um, while I'm can I can I, tell, about, can I can I admit I am also really freaking struggling. Uh, it is a um, hard. Not only is a, the film a hard act to follow, but the dan the I mean and it can be done, but the actors, the actors who have to follow Pacino and De Niro and walk in their shoes, and adopt these roles monumental yeah and i mean who is in that kind of age group at the, at the moment um that de niro and pacino were in and it's they've got to be like, like 40 they've got to be like 40 they've got to be 45 to 50 but yeah. because of the age gap in the book they've got to kind of be able to play sort of late 30s to mid 30s to all the way to kind of 50 and, with the with the hannah character and the, the people who are of that age group who are, are kind of doing the business at the moment are like Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, who are yeah. great, but they're not they're not these guys. No. Um, Have you got anyone in mind, any cast uh, in mind, even if it's a, for example, like, what about Wardell, someone who you're like having to imagine in your mind's eye? Who's, who's coming into Gavin Smith's mind's big, eye? The big, uh, um, being the big bad. Do you know what the Do you know what the problem is? Um, once you've seen a film of a book, you cannot get the actors, you know, out of your head, and ever. you can't not hear their voices, right? Like that's yeah. the great thing about this book. One of the first things when you're reading new Vincent Hannah and Neil McCauley yeah. lines in your eyes, you're hearing the voices in your head. You're hearing every yeah. intonation. You're hearing Christian Hellas. You're seeing Ashley Judd. You know what, you know, and this book also has this weird relationship. Even in this one chapter, it's like, you know, Charlene drives like she was trained at Top Gun. And it's like, oh, mm. hello. Uh, there's a there's a Val Kilmer reference. Um, and and you sort of see Val and you see 
Al and you see Bobby and you see like, you see Tom Sizemore, you see these people in your head completely there. So yeah, it's, it's insanely difficult, but I was just wondering if anyone, when you're reading it, does it pop out? I'm really thankful you didn't ask me this yesterday, and you can tell I'm just playing for time at the moment. I like tearing my DVDs out of the wall of DVDs. Um, you know, going going through all the stuff um, online. I, I'm struggling. Um, all the ideas I'm having are bad. Um, <laughs> I, I I could tell you how much I'm panicking at the moment. I thought Robert Downey Jr. and then went no. Um, I was just going to say, I think Voight could still do it for Heat 2 because I think he was aged up in, in Heat. He was, but he's also one of those weird Trump QAnon lunatics now, so I don't know how successful <laughs> I'm I Yeah, I, 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 I was aware of that. Um, <laughs> Maybe Michael yeah, Mann just can to- bring him back to normalcy for one film, but... You know, Michael just, Mann, a famously just, progressive guy. Yeah, in, in in no way am I suggesting that uh, by recasting Boy, <laughs> I'm, I'm all right with his politics. I'm really not. <laughs> You know, I got to confess, I, I really don't have too many because every time I kind of think of one, somebody will bring up, so I'm, you know, someone, a younger actor who I'm, I'm just not familiar with. And then I'll look them up and be like, or, or I'll maybe I maybe I don't know him by name, but then I'll look up and say, oh, actually, no, wait, that's that's perfect. Um, and I made, as you know, a uh, I went through one afternoon and did a Google Doc table of, um, you know, going by the actors ages in, you know, say, 94 when it was shot, 95 when it came out. And then, you know, doing the uh, the really hard math of subtracting seven years or adding 12 years <laughs> or whatever it was. Um, so just, you know, looking at the age, not only, you know, not only is it just um a 12 year difference but you're talking about chris would be like 27 in all the 1988 stories and then 41 um when when you get to 2000 so um it's not it's it's sort of a it's sort of a key 12 years and we can i, I feel years. i'm 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 37 and i feel like the gap between like 25 and 37 right. yeah that's about a 25 years. it's yeah. a gap yeah. it's a gap yeah. well and especially when you consider like you know, if Chris being 27 and Chris being 41, that's going to be, that's going to be some years of hard living in between there too. So yeah. like, that's, you know, um, the only, the only one I, for some reason, kind of pictured early was like a Vincent D'Onofrio as Wardell. Six, two millimeter, full metal jacket. I mean, I know we, we, yeah. we didn't discuss much about the, the, you know, the subsequent areas of the book. I don't know if um, I don't know if his kingpin role is like a little too tied in already, and he's obviously probably too old for the younger version of of you know Wardell by this point. A young Vincent Offrey could do Wardell in his sleep, right? Yeah, and you know uh, that he's a guy that can totally um, like he could totally um, 
have like big physical presence, be much more like sort of muscular and then get dumpy. And I imagine yeah. that's how I've envisaged him. He's like, he's, he's like a thick as a brick shit ass, as big as a fridge, but he's still like got some muscularity and things like that when he's younger. And then when he's older, he's let himself go a bit. So that, yeah. that role is going to be for someone to kind of like be chunky, be be sort of leaner in the early years. And then probably chunkier is, is, is how I'm envisaging it anyway. Like a like a reverse uh, uh, Gomer Pyle from Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> yeah, you see, he gained weight for the movie and then took yeah. it off as they were, you know, doing the training. So you're the best. Thank you for doing this. Good, great to see you. I know we'll be uh, I know we'll be in touch on the on the board. Subscribe to Patreon if you haven't yet, everybody. Look at that, that Google Doc. There's a link to that Google Doc. So there's a <laughs> right yeah, like did, uh, while everything is falling to pieces on yeah. the Twitter sphere and the Twitterverse. Uh, people don't want to be a Zuckerberg guy or an Elon Musk guy over on discord. We're having a great time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was about, I'm just realizing why right? we talked about how we're recording this on election day here in the States that it was like, it was just about two years ago when we did our president's men episode, maybe because yeah. it yeah. was right after I don't, I think the election had just been called kind of. And yes, anyway, yeah. Time's a flat circle, man. And time is a flat circle. Holy shit. That's a hundred and like, that's a hundred and thirty-four episode series that I did in eleven months. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much to my incredible crew of guests. Of course, Roxana Hadadi. We had there Brendan Hodges. We also had Hannah Blackman, John P. Glynn, and Gavin Davis. Thank you so much for listening to this first of three fantasy cast heat two episodes it's not easy but uh i think we get there we get pretty close there might be a definitive list we'll eventually post it if you want to check out everything that we're doing it's oneheatminute.com you'll see links to all of our live podcasts currently one heat minute miami nice blues brothers too much movie and the upcoming podcaster and commander and pod thomas anderson as well as a brand new articles and features page looking to get more stuff coming to you next year more exciting things i'll tell you about it more in the next outro the final episode we'll catch you another episode of one heat minute just around the corner you know and it feels like such a 20th century movie it feels like something david lean would have done or tried to do uh, when he still had that kind of currency and even then he might not have succeeded it's incredible because like if you if you don't have time to watch all five seasons of lost you can just watch fearless <laughs> Not a week goes by that I don't think of the ending of Gallipoli. It's left a mark, a uh, year of living dangerously. Uh, you know, and then something like Last Wave, even that's so uh, deeply embedded with the land and the story of the land, the story of the place. You know, I don't know that I'd seen very many movies at that point in my life that had such a down ending and they had such a, you know, sort of strong sense of folklore uh, 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 attached to it as that. And something always so poetic and lyrical about Peter Weir's work. Gallipoli was the first movie that ever traumatized me, and I don't think I ever really recovered from it. <laughs> and I'm still upset that they played it in school. Like, I don't think it's actually possible to make an, they say it's not possible to make an anti-war movie, but I think Peter Weir pulled it off. Because yes. no one watches that movie then thinks, I want to go to war. Uh, Peter Weir is the greatest director that Australia has ever produced. Like, bar none, hands down. Like, no yeah. one else is even in the room. I think you have covered some really titanic filmmakers and some really titanic films so far, but I I truly think 
what makes Peter Weir special and what makes you doing this one special is we don't talk about Peter Weir that way, and we should. Peter Weir is one of those guys who I don't get why he isn't a bigger name, why he isn't more in that rarefied air, yes. because I think film for film, he's one of our very best filmmakers. He has brought his A-game repeatedly to <laughs> many properties. There are films of his that I hold very dear. Fearless, uh, you know, uh, The Mosquito Coast. I will fight somebody if they talk bad about The Mosquito Coast. It's, man, I love that movie. But in general, I just think he is a special filmmaker, a smart, lyrical, um, hallucinatory filmmaker. He's a very dreamy filmmaker, and I don't think he gets his due. You know, Master Commander is one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, you know, it's easily one of the best movies of the last 20 years. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's a grand scale. There's a historical backdrop to it, but at the same time, there's such an intimacy in the relationships. Uh, which I think is not just a great film and one of the last great epics in the truest sense. Um, I, I think is actually kind of a sliding doors change point moment in, in cinema history. I think 2003, when that comes along, and it is a an old-fashioned, you know, we don't make them like that anymore type film. I think if Master and Commander spawns a franchise at that point, the entire cinema landscape globally is completely different. That that's the movie that I wanted to see. Ten of those, you know. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I know they're big fans of Fast and Furious and everything. And God bless you. But Master and Commander <laughs> should have been. It's one of those things. Again, I. I am not uh, I'm not a seafaring man, sir. <laughs> but there is a sense of authenticity. There's a sense of really watching a, a genuine dedication to recreating history unfold on a big screen in front of you that can't help but inspire just genuine admiration and awe. If you're going to pick a film where he really brings every one of his skills to the table, it's Master and Commander. I think you picked the right one, man. Yeah, very excited to see what you you pull, you pull out of this, Blake. That's right. Our next series is Peter Weir and Russell Crowe's Master and Commander. The series is called Podcaster and Commander. Commander.